Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm Sarah Watt. And I'm William Chan. And we're back together in the same place! Woo! People have been uh, traversing the world. I'm about to head off overseas. It is a season of not being together. (laughs) Nice to be back in the same house. Each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective, with some connection. It could be the same director, the same actor, or a similar theme. This month we are discussing Elvis, which came out earlier this year, and Strictly Ballroom, which came out in 1992. I should know that. 1992? Yes, I'm getting nods. It's the 30th anniversary. Wow, of course it is. Mm. The connection being they are both directed by Australian director Baz Luhrmann. Strictly Ballroom was was his first film, and Elvis is his most recent film. And uh, I, would, I think it's fair to say he's an auteur, so we're probably going to talk about his oeuvre as we get into we this episode. We probably are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, please be warned that we will be spoiling both movies, so if you haven't seen either Elvis or Strictly Ballroom, uh, then please pause this episode and come back to us at a future date. Right, Elvis, give us a bit of an introduction about this, this film, Sarah. Hi, everyone. So, Elvis... Um, you know, it's so obscure about this guy that no one's ever heard of before. It might as well have been an independent art house film. Um, I'm just being silly. Elvis, <laughs> as the name suggests, is, um, I would say it's a biopic, but actually uh, I think that Luhrmann takes a few liberties, but they are exciting, ecstatic liberties, with the biopic of Elvis Presley. Um, it. Uh, is a film that takes the unusual slant of positioning the film sort of uh, from the outside looking in because we, the viewer, uh, are led more by an outsider to, um, to actual Elvis Presley and that was his uh, longtime agent or manager, Colonel Tom Parker, who's played by Tom Hanks. And so we get to watch Uh, young Elvis um, and his trajectory to superstardom over the course of almost three magnificently exciting hours, just giving away here a little bit of how I feel about the film. Um, And it has all the Luhrmann aspects of um, music and fast editing and sequence and excitement and uh, joie de vivre. Brilliance. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Well, Strictly Ballroom came out, as I said, in 1992. It was based on a play that Baz Luhrmann was developing with his friends at university. And it, I think it was quite successful in Sydney, I believe. And um, an elderly couple came along to see the film. Uh, he was a producer. And they, they decided that they were going to back this story into a film. Um, it was a passion project for them. And um, unfortunately, he passed away before the film was, was made. And his wife was left with the choice of whether she would carry on with this. And she, she did. She carried on for his sake and said he would have wanted to have seen this film completed. So really a film made out of love. Um, though they were backing it, it wasn't a big budget. Mm. And Strictly Ballroom, the film, was born. So Strictly Ballroom follows the character of Scott Hastings, mm. uh, who is a young, talented, up-and-coming ballroom dancer. And his... The journey, uh, really rallying against the institution who expect him to, uh, you know, dance only strictly ballroom steps. Uh, but he wants to jazz it up a bit and bring in some different moves because he doesn't feel that what has been laid down really is appropriate for how he wants to express himself. And alongside that, he meets Fran, who is a beginner in the studio, uh, who too has her own steps. 
Um, I believe she is, I don't know what culture she is. She's Spanish. Spanish? Um, well, they're speaking Spanish language, and I think mm. with the whole bullfighting kind of... Um, the, the, Masadorble. Yes, uh, and the matador kind of thing that mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say, even though they never say her surname, because yeah. he says to her, yeah. what's your name? Fran, Fran who? And she says, just, just Fran. Fran. <laughs> and I'm like, well, there was an opportunity to be, you know... But um, yeah, so yeah. Spanish. So, so, so Spanish and I guess her motivation is to bring in a bit of her culture into a space that is very uh, codified and not very welcoming of steps. And so, yeah, I guess shenanigans ensue. And the one thing I will say about Strictly Ballroom, uh, this is not the one thing I'll say about Strictly Ballroom. <laughs> I have many things to say about Strictly Ballroom. Uh, but this is one of his few films that he made before the, I guess, um, proliferation of computer-generated imagery, which is a big part of his later films. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is one where we get to see how he does all of his trickery and wizardry. Um, in camera. In so camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he does it with a team of people that he has remained working with. His wife, uh, mm. Christine Martin. Catherine. Catherine Martin. I know mm. they call her CM. Um, and his music producer who works with col- collaboratively with lots of artists. There's sort of a, a team of people that have continued through his career. Mm. So... Yeah, that is Strictly Ballroom. All right. Nice. William, I'm going to throw the rocket to you. Where, where do you want to start? Okay, uh, I'll bounce off your point, Jeremy, about CGI. Um, it's something that I think, uh, as you say, becomes more and more prevalent as you go through Buzz Luhrmann's works. I don't know if you guys remember Australia. It's the oh, only one boy. I have not seen. Or rather, it's the only one I will not see. Good. <laughs> it is a terrible time at the movies. Wow. Uh, I rave. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think I, I do actually think his later films uh, don't come off as, as well as his previous ones. Even, I think, in, in Moulin Rouge, there is a real balance between like the, the razzle-dazzle of all the different c- composites and the, the shots and the colours. Mm. Um, but it's, it still feels real question mark like there's there's a real tactile sensibility to it Mm. and you compare that to something like elvis 2022 or great gatsby or the great gatsby yes although i think gatsby still has more of a veneer of reality compared to elvis because is anything real in elvis it feels like the people are and every single item is composited and i don't know how you guys feel about the visuals but that was one thing that completely took me out of the movie that's interesting because i as i often say over the five and a half million years we've been doing this podcast i don't always notice the visuals like you can Mm -hmm. have pretty bad green screen for me to then go hang on a second so i you're talking about cgi and composite and that and i don't i didn't feel it quite Mm -hmm. so much Although, to me, Strictly Ballroom does feel intensely real for mm. its kind of gritty, low-budgetness. I don't mind that Elvis, though, isn't real in inverted commas, because oh. I am not invested in the real guy. Mm-hmm. And so I went into the film kind of like, okay, well, I enjoy, I enjoy Baz Luhrmann. I know a few Elvis songs. I really know nothing about him, and I, I don't, I, I'm not invested in him emotionally to care about truth Mm. and then right from the very beginning toe tapping toe tapping i had the best time and i knew that he was throwing glitter in my eyes and inveigling me (laughs) and i didn't mind but as i say that's because elvis is just some mythical creature to me so i do respect absolutely it might have upset other people for myriad reasons that's so interesting because I, I kind of had the same starting starting point as you, Sarah. Like I, 
I know some of Elvis's music. I don't know much of his story. I know how he died. I know about Marilyn and all that stuff. Mm. Um, and I, I went into the movie quite excited because I, I heard some good things about it. And, and it, it, it was one of those rare movies where the longer it went on, and it was a very long movie, yeah. Yeah, the more my negative feelings towards it started coming oh, out. Okay. Um, and I ended up being very, very um, both distrusting of the movie and almost despising them. Okay. Started off really positive. So it overstayed its welcome with I, you. I would definitely say so. Mm. Um, and it's it's a variety of different things. And we may talk about this uh, later on as well. But I just felt that the, the whole overarching focus on Colonel Parker mm. uh, really took so much away from the movie. I, I didn't like that. Something inside of me likes a more... I guess traditional approach like what they did with Bohemian Rhapsody just focus on the guy and everything is around him and this felt like focusing on the evil producer character who always shows up but he almost having more screen time probably than our focal character yeah Uh, and it felt really lopsided in a way that really never pans out to me anyway I have versions of what you're saying William but as positives and critiques so for me I loved the when the movie started and it was Colonel Parker's story I was like oh my gosh, this is so brilliant because I'm so sick of the typical film. Mm. I, I mean, we saw saw Respect recently, oh, which, yeah. which by all intents and purposes, great film, it's but fine, it's, right? it's like but the 10th one we've yes, seen in yes, the last yes. 20 years. So mm. I'm sick of those movies. Bohemian Rhapsody managed to get away with it by by really um, twisting the story to, to give it an emotional charge. But I you know, I couldn't stand Rocket Man. I'm, I'm just over, I'm over the musician films. Mm, we've, mm. we've seen it. Um, so I was really happy to go along for the ride with Colonel Parker as the villain of the piece and I was like what a great way just to show the um, grossness of this industry because we have we see the same story every time but mm. this felt very different and I was I loved it I didn't have any issue with I was loving the film it was like a rollicking great time and this is spoilers but I've you know if you haven't seen it pause it at this point um, for me the movie ended the emotional climax of the film was when Elvis was playing Vegas and Colonel Parker signed the contract on the mm. tablecloth. He got everything he wanted. He, you know, that's the end of the movie for me. Mm. Um, and they needed to just quickly resolve it. I liked the scene in the basement where they're arguing. Mm-hmm. But the moment that it got to the scene where his wife's leaving him, I was like, well, we've seen this scene a hundred times, you know. And, yeah. and the movie went on for like a good half an hour. And then Elvis died. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like, um, And it was baking hot in the cinema as well. <laughs> um, and also we found out our friends had COVID next to us and we were going to go into lockdown for three weeks after that. But anyways, um, I just think the movie was over at that point and it just mm. kept going. But it had to keep going because his wife has to leave him because it's a true story and he, he has to die um, in Ve- Vegas. Did he die in Vegas? Yeah. yeah. Be- because we know that that's what's coming. But I mean... So they, he has to do it have, somehow. They, they can't have their cake and eat it too. Like if you're going to make a statement that this film is about Colonel Parker, if he is the emotional core of the yeah. film well yeah. he was the he was the protagonist and if that's the story you're going to tell then commit to it mm-hmm. and i just thought the film went like for me it wasn't a, a descent it was like loving it loving it loving it loving it loving it movie's over movie's Clip. still going over we're still edge. going we're right, still going right. aboard what's going mm-hmm. on yeah. yeah that's okay and um, yeah i hear you both um i yeah people are going to be coming at this with different objections. I think the aspect of it with this whole Colonel Tom Parker business for me was Elvis is a mythical creature. Mm. And I and maybe I think that actually it's quite clever to be looking at him from the outside 
Because I don't, I mean, oh my gosh, can I just say, and I'm sure we all agree, I hope, Austin Butler, what a mm. river frickin' nation. Yeah. I hadn't seen him in anything. I've subsequently seen photographs of him blonde and natural looking. He doesn't impress seen, me at all. Have we not seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah, but I don't remember that. I mean, oh. what was he, just Wait, one of the kids what, at, the, what, at the ranch? He's what, just what one of the he? kids at he's the He's the guy that rides on the horse and chases oh. after... Um, yeah, but he's just... I, he, I have no idea. He's only yeah. a good looking dude, but he looks yeah. so different to me. The he's minute, the creepy one at the ranch. He's the one that you you actually think is going to oh, hurt Brad Pitt. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I wouldn't have remembered that at all because the minute that you stick a, a black wig or black hair on him, yeah. I thought he was extraordinary. Yeah. <laughs> and then to find out that it wasn't just the spoken voice but the singing voice that he had nailed as well. I'm like, this kid. Because yeah. actually, going into the film, I was like, mm, well, I don't know who Austin Butler is, but we'll see. We'll mm. see about this. Is it just because he's pretty? And then actually he bowled me over and actually mm. got me into Elvis's music. Mm. So, I mean, you know, there's good I thought they did marketing. a really, really good job of the music as well. Like yes. they, they brought in each of the famous songs without it feeling like a jukebox. Yes. You know, Mamma Mia or Jersey Boys. Or, 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 or um, bring back uh, Bohemian Rhapsody where there was never that moment, which they do multiple times in Bohemian Rhapsody, of someone going... Listen, Fred, to this, and they yeah, play yeah, the, yeah. the main riff to "We Will Rock You" or something. Yeah. It's like, oh my goodness, yeah. Yeah. like never happens and, in this movie. And yeah. they mucked about with some of it and did wonderful modern remixes. Yeah. I mean, I love the song with Eminem in it. It's ridiculous, <laughs> oh, I, but I love it. So I have no objections to all that. So all I'm saying is. It's being Colonel Tom Park, and he was a total caricature. He was hyperbolic. Yeah. It was vaguely racist. It was, <laughs> you know, whatever. But I didn't care because I was looking at this, as I keep saying, mythical creature becoming this incredible phoenix, you know. They definitely captured the tragedy of Elvis. Mm. I think that it really was the tragedy of Elvis and, and Colonel Parker's manipulation he's just a terrible terrible person yeah. isn't he and, yeah. and they did really capture that I thought Tom Hanks did fantastic as well I, I thought he was a little bit over the top I, I mean you guys have mentioned that his character is intentionally over the top yeah. it was just overly theatrical in yeah. a way uh, that I don't think some of the other performances were um, a lot of people remark on the Priscilla Presley character and I okay. apologise to the actress whose name I can't remember but um, people I know felt that she actually oh. was the emotional core of the film, that her performance was the most real and heartfelt, mm. particularly in some of the latter breakup right. scenes. What's her name? Olivia de Jong. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. and um, She was fantastic. I didn't like that breakup scene, not because of her, just because it's... We've seen the leading on the stairs and... <laughs> sure, sure. You know, but she was great. I thought the scene with them when they first fell in love in the... Was it Japan? Were they in uh, Japan? Germany. Germany. Yeah. Um, was a really special scene. Yeah, yeah. I, I really liked um, how the whole thing ends. I, I thought that was quite good with the, the plane kind of flying away. It was decent. Yeah, yeah. good yeah. button. Good button. You mentioned um, consistency, lack of consistency of over the top characters. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about strictly ballroom. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean that's a great counterpoint because it's like they're all over the top. No, Paul Mercurio is true. You're right. Paul yeah. Mercurio is our straight man. Yes, Actually, right. to be fair, Tara Maurice is Fran. Well, she, no, but she starts off ridiculous yeah. and then yes, she slowly comes to his right, level, because right? Because she has mm -hmm. to be clumsy and she has to be the ugly duckling. Yeah. She has to she has fall the, over. She has the taking off her glasses. Can you, can you dance without those glasses I know, glasses it's on? so silly. She's like, yes, and you're like, well, there was a dramatic opportunity wasted. What if she had <laughs> said no? I need to have them stuck on with sellotape around uh. the back of my ears. <laughs> 
But um, thankfully, she took them off. Well, yeah. here's a question for you guys. Um, does Baz Luhrmann hate people? Is he a misanthrope? <laughs> Why? Because... What? Strictly War, this is the first time I've seen it. Yeah. Um, and thank you very much for bringing it to my attention, guys. Yeah. What did you think, first of all? Did you enjoy oh, it? I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it's very much a movie of its time. Yes. Uh, the, the movie I talked to you guys about, it's like, this reminds me 100% is uh, Babe 2, Pig in a City. <gasps> yeah. Uh, George Miller, because it's like, it, the, the two movies couldn't be any more different, but their aesthetics are one of the same. Wow. Right? Um, they are very much uh, highlighting kind of the ugliness of humanity. Yeah. Uh, kind of having having this a, a pure counterpoint. In, in one case, it's Scott. In the other case, it's the animals, right? In this this crazy Australian setting, or in Babe, it's kind of international, but it's it's, it's Australia. Yeah, yeah. We're in Australia. And um and kind of pitching the two against each other in this this you know fight for the soul yeah. of what it means to be in Strictly Ballroom, it's it's darts, uh, a dancer, and babe, it's to be human, quote unquote. Mm. Um, and I can totally see the two movies being watched in a double bill, and it's incredible. Mm. Um, and Strictly Ballroom, I think watching it was like, holy moly, this movie hates people. <laughs> I think the opposite, but... Yeah. Oh, really? It's like every every single character is shot in like a horrifying close-up. Yeah. You can see the makeup caked on their faces. And low angles as well. Low and angles. Jowls and um, and the, the lens. I, I don't know what kind of lens they were using, but it's to... Well, I think they used all the lenses. Yeah, all the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. But it's just... It's deeply unpleasant, um, and intentionally so, so that when the, the, the purity comes out, you're like, oh, okay, this is actually really nice. Very interesting. I don't think he hates people. I think he's, he's really trying to capture the institution, right? Yes. That's the institution of this dance world. Mm -hmm. And if you think about most of his stories have a melodrama at their heart, mm. and so it's playing up the, the villains and the tensions and the... The people. I mean, his the mother character is incredible. <laughs> Do you know she um had, she died just she had, after yeah, she, it had finished filming. She was unwell oh, really? with cancer through the filming, and she didn't get to see the movie complete. Yeah. So there's a lot of people that wow. invested into that film. And that, she was amazing. She's yeah. brilliant. She's brilliant. If I wonder whether the little and you'll know more than I, Jeremy, because uh, don't know if you know this, William, but this film is in Jeremy's top ten films My of all goodness. time. Most watched movie of all time. That's for anyone who right. listened to our last That's episode. That's right. <laughs> but um, so you may know this already but given that this is Baz Luhrmann's first film as you said and given that it really pushes so many boundaries of Australian cinema and cinema generally I mean it was just re-watching it this time which I think was the first time in 30 years it blew my mind mm -hmm. all of the things that are in it that I think oh my gosh so many people have gone on to use that style of the mockumentary part at the beginning yeah. with the mum saying what did I do wrong? Yeah. Did I fail him as a mother? Yeah. And then, and then, and just, oh, the beautiful mockumentary way of it all. But all I'm saying is, I've got to not talk in that accent, so sorry. All I'm saying is, to me, Baz Luhrmann and Paul McCurry, um, Scott Hastings, yeah. they're the mm -hmm. same person, right? Mm. And he's like, I want to make a film and I want to make it my way. Mm. And Scott is like, and I want to dance, dance my way. Um... And so maybe it isn't misanthropy generally. Maybe it isn't I hate all people, but just mm. I, as you say, Jeremy, I hate the institution or not hate, but I'm fighting, I'm fighting the power here. Right, you know what I mean? Right. In order to create my own art. Baz Luhrmann did it in 92. Mm. 
and it catapulted him into a whole, whole yeah, career. Yeah, huge. Extraordinary The film is huge, yeah. right? And we yeah. did the festival circuit in like the best way possible. Mm-hmm. I think though, like as much as there's a critique of that world, there's a deep love of ballroom. He grew up in the ballroom yeah. world oh, yeah, yeah, and he's yeah, yeah, really yeah. showcasing a part of what he loves. Yeah. I, I do think this is Baz Luhrmann's best film because... Romeo and Juliet is phenomenal. It's, it's depressing though. They, you know, it's a it's a sad story. Yeah. And um, Milan Rouge. <laughs> That's not his fault. By no, the way. <laughs> that was that other guy's fault. Yeah, Milan yeah. Rouge um, uh, is fantastic, but you know, it's it's That's not sad. also depressing. Also depressing. Um, you know, it's interesting you talk about Australia. So my experience with Australia, and I think I said this in the last episode. I thought the first, again, similar to Elvis, I thought the first half, I really enjoyed yeah. it. The whole dro- oh, yeah. driving of the, the cattle. Mm-hmm. And then the whole film falls to pieces and goes on for another hour <laughs> and a half. But I was reading in a, a magazine the other day that Baz Luhrmann said that's the one film where he feels like he lost the battle with the studio and he mm-hmm. wasn't able to um, make the choices that he, you know, creatively. And he thinks that it might, that film could hold the record for the most amount of footage filmed. And... Um, he is currently working with indigenous artists in Australia and they're re-editing the movie what? into a oh. four-hour miniseries called Faraway Downs. And he oh. filmed multiple endings and so he's got a whole lot of different stuff. Oh my God. Um, and in the same, as a Vogue magazine that he co-edited. It's sitting over there in, my, in this room. room. Um, he talks with Nicole Kidman and she says, yeah, I remember heaps of stuff that we filmed, mm. like significant stuff that we filmed that isn't in the film mm. and so I'm really interested to see that's cool. how that comes together because there's some the whole start of that movie is very strictly Borum-esque yeah. like her arriving on the dock and all of the <laughs> all of the Australian people talking about her and Hugh Jackman having a big fight in the in the thing yeah. the other one I'm going to bring up is The Get Down have you seen The Get Down? no no and that's a so explain to listeners because it's a TV documentary no, it's a TV Netflix series. They made six oh. episodes, and it's about the... Advent of hip-hop music? Yeah, the advent of hip-hop yeah. music. It's happening at the same time that, um, you know, graffiti art is, is kind of burgeoning from... I mean, it's from poverty, right? And from the, the communities of colour in mm-hmm. um, New York City. And so you've got graffiti art, you've got um, hip-hop music, and then as the story goes on, you've got the voguing queer culture, counterculture of, mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. the gay clubs in, in New York. So he produces the first hour and a half, mm-hmm. and it's one of his best things. I would say it's his second best thing, or maybe third best thing behind um, Romeo and Juliet and Milan Rouge. Mm-hmm. But um, it's really, really good. Characters are great, the pacing's great, the music's great. It's all got all the Baz Luhrmann things. Tropes. And then he hands the TV show over to someone else, and it really goes downhill. Oh, oh no. The first season's okay, and in the second season I stopped watching when they... They kept overusing animation to tell the story, and I thought mm. I was because maybe run out of budget. Maybe like, do you need to animate this to tell the story? <laughs> but yeah, first episode is wonderful. Wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Strictly Ballroom is, is lots of fun. Like it's it's really really good. Um, uh, how contemporary is this to the Christopher Guest stuff? Like, is it well, Christopher much Guest same same time period? Well, this is Spinal Tap came out in the in the eighty four, right? Yeah. So. Well after that, but um, Wendy for Guffman wouldn't come out until 1996, so okay. it was four years before. Oh, okay, okay. But it's very contemporary to Muriel's Wedding. Right. Well, that's the film that it most made me think I want yeah. to revisit, because it has the hyperbolic characters. Mm-hmm. So like, um, not Tina Sparkles, the other one, the girl who he... Liz. Liz, Liz Holt. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, the fact that she runs in and she's screaming and it's all... <laughs> yeah. And all that kind of thing. 
um, feels very Muriel's wedding. Mm. Um, and also, I think Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, is another oh, yeah, big connector of this. A lot of the visuals are very Priscilla, I guess, because that same kind of low-budget Australian feel. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that flamboyant kind of... Yeah. Costumes. Yeah, that, and, yeah, yeah, that's right. Feathers and um, sequins and... <laughs> Lens flare and all that. I mean, it's all—it's almost lens flare, isn't it? In yeah. a strictly ballroom. Yeah. To me, it is an—it is an imperfect film. Now, mm-hmm. in fairness to Baz, it's a bloody good first film, and he's gone on to do amazing things. So I'm not being arbitrarily critical, but um, we, you know, t- having touched upon the mockumentary aspects of it, actually, it isn't treated consistently. So mm. we're not introduced to each of the characters with their names. Scott never talks to camera. That's fine, maybe, and neither does Fran. The mum does, and it's hilarious at the beginning. Barry Fife does a little bit. Mm-hmm. Fran, um, Fran and Liz do. Oh, does Fran? Yep. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, that's interesting. So yeah, She goes, I've only been dancing for two years, but what I thought they did was really good. <laughs> and then she goes, hi, Liz, what I thought was really good. And then Liz punches her in yeah. the stomach. So she repeats what she says on the talking head. Oh, okay, okay. So, well, that's interesting then, that I missed that actually it was more mockumentary than I thought it was. Yeah, Um, just in their first little bit, their first opening sequence, which is based on a real documentary called Foxtrot to Tango, which when I used to own it on DVD was included on the DVD. And there's all these different characters, which feels like a Christopher (laughs) Guest film. Right. Um, (laughs) But they're real people. You know, the guy with the big bulldogs and there's couples that have got married and there's siblings Mm. that do it and... And there's this one, there's this one scene with a family. So mother, father, um, and then two younger kids. So there must be 12, 13. Yeah. And um, and then the mum's the mum's so overbearing, which is great. And she, the dad's just sitting there, just like Doug Hastings. <laughs> um, and the mum goes, so tell tell she's talking to her daughter. Tell them what what you do. She's like. I do brownies on Monday. I do athletics on Tuesday. I do clarinet on Wednesday. But this is a real Wednesday, documentary. Yeah, Thursday. Da, 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 and she's like, and, and what do you do on Saturday? I do dancing. I do dancing. And then what do you do on thing? I do swimming. She's like, you like that one, don't you? She's like, yeah, I like that one. <laughs> like oh, just cute. <laughs> That's so cute. Look, yeah. another non. It's not a comparison with Elvis unless you find a way to make it thus. However. The, the, the Romeo and Juliet-ish sort of romance between Scott and um, Fran. Fran, you know, they're very much from different cultures mm-hmm. for a moment there. Well, actually, yeah, no, their parents would not have wanted them to dance together or be together, mm-hmm. just like Romeo and Juliet, just like um, uh, Moulin Rouge. Uh, Christian and Satine. That's right. Mm-hmm. So it's the, the blending of worlds and all that sort of thing, isn't it? It's a bit it? in love. Yeah. Yes. Although Great Gatsby, not so much. Or perhaps. I don't know. But um... Definitely the get down. There's a forbidden love in the get down mm-hmm. with a young church girl, you know, the, the young hip-hop guy like each other. And right. Yeah. Perhaps the forbidden love then in Elvis is the musical styles, actually. So it isn't a love story between, you know, the traditional sort of man and woman, different side of the tracks, but it's the the music from different side of the tracks and, and uh, <clears throat> Elvis oh, nice. being raised in a, 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 an evangelical... No, actually, not so much, but being influenced by the evangelical Christian, the Pentecostal Christian singing, the gospel, um, and then effectively making black music or being accused of and that sort of thing so maybe I thought they dealt the... I thought they dealt with that nuance really well because yeah. I, was, I was sitting there thinking okay they need to honor the fact that this music came from the black community yes. in Memphis but and, and also I guess acknowledge 
what Elvis's music did for that music in the mainstream, but not overstate it because yes. at the end of the day, he's, he effectively took it and yes. and became very successful out of it. And I thought they did a really good job of just highlighting the situation, not trying to make any apologies or excuses for yes. Elvis, mm-hmm. and not overstating his his influence. Yeah, in that sense, you know. Yeah, and yeah, and again, because I am not wedded to truth or any kind of narrative around that i'm just like oh fantastic beautiful great right you know well it seems like a lot of the response around elvis has been pretty positive from elvis fans and from his family yeah reading responses from you know um priscilla and 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 his daughter like everyone's really really positive about that's good isn't it yeah and talking about how it honors his legacy in a way that feels real and talking about tom parker as well and and people's you know memories of him versus what he was portrayed as in the media mm. um so yeah it, it seemed like it, it really did a lot of things uh, right yes yeah. yeah this film's been a long time in the making as well like mm-hmm. i know baz lerman's been wanting to make this elvis film for at least 10 years um i know mm. that he was talking about it even way back when australia came out mm-hmm. so it's it must have been yeah a long time in the making. Yeah. I kind of miss the days of DVDs because you would get the making ofs and the oh, yeah, I love you know we that. don't really we don't really see that we get a little bit of it on YouTube, but then yeah. it's it's a bit different to sometimes if you buy the digital version on Apple they have you know additional materials. Do you but, I don't, I don't, do you ever no. buy anything on Apple? <laughs> Not really. Like it's just all streaming now, isn't it? And it would yeah. be nice if they packaged some of that stuff up with the with the streaming. So yeah, you know if you wait for streaming, you get to see the making of yeah. Mm. I used yeah. to love buying my DVDs or my Blu-rays, and oh, then you'd watch the movie, and, and then yeah. you'd go and watch all the Easter eggs, the commentaries. Right. Yeah, you have yeah. to find the Easter eggs. <laughs> That's right. That was such a great time. The yeah. best one was the Lord of the Rings extended editions. You remember that? They but, folded out. And, oh yeah. yeah. The nineties was a good time. You know, watching Strictly yeah. Ballroom reminded me because that was, I guess, um, certainly ninety-two onwards. Literally, I started uni in ninety-two, mm-hmm. and that was very much a coming of age for me in terms of going to the the Capitol Cinema in Auckland. That mm-hmm. was absolutely, um, it was retrospectives. It was indie. It was uh, gritty. It was the place that I saw Reservoir Dogs and all that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. So for me, watching or rewatching Strictly Ballroom was going back to a time when mm. cinema was more magical than, I don't know, Marvel makes it. <laughs> well, I mean, Elvis, Elvis is like the Marvel version of a Baz Luhrmann movie, isn't yeah. it? And I, and I hear, you know, there is something to be said, and we talk about this a lot, but I think back then you had your Reservoir Dogs, you had your, you know, New Zealand film was really taking off. Yes. Yeah. Was, there was a lot of significant films and whatnot. Well, yeah, I mean, that was what ninety six, I think. I'm thinking like Heavenly Creatures oh, and Lots of Warriors and My Father's and, Den and well, all those kind of. Yeah. What was that later? Piano, I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah ninety three, I think. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was a big time of there's nineties and early two thousands was yeah. a really significant and time. And you've mentioned Priscilla as well. So Antipodean, yeah. I think we could call that Antipodean or Australasian yeah. cinema, guys. <laughs> but with Reservoir Dogs, right? It's just yeah. the indie cinema and and. I, I've heard arguments that Lord of the Rings kind of killed New Zealand cinema, which I mm. people can go either way. They like it either really ex- exploded it onto the world stage, mm-hmm. or it kind of squashed a lot of the indie films that were really starting to to come up through the right. system um, through the nineties. It's probably a double edged sword, isn't it? I mean, it it it. it, it made our industry explode because it gave millions that's hyperbole millions of people work and it, and it and it put us on the world stage in terms of being a filmmaking country but obviously but god bless it the hobbit and all that is not an indigenous or a new zealand and aotearoa story mm. um yeah so maybe opportunities were lost for for indie uh more indie new zealand flicks to mm. be made but um 
Who's to know? If we had continued with our cinema of unease, which arguably we do, um, you know, would the appetite have got to the point where we're like, we don't actually want to watch that anymore, and actually we want to consume the films from overseas? And you think about Game of Thrones, right? Which I have not seen, but I know a little bit about. You know, there is an appetite for that sort of saga, that sort of fantasy, that sort of thing. In which case, you've got to be producing your your Lord of the Rings and your your Star Warses and your Mandalorians and whatnot. Um, you know, in order to be relevant, in order to have an industry. You bring up mm. cinema of the unease, which for listeners who don't know, that's a, I guess, a, a phrase that was coined by Sam Neill in his yeah. documentary and how New Zealand cinema has um, a real darkness about it for all of its, even Taika Waititi's films have a real darkness about it, But certainly they? through the 80s and into the 90s. Yeah. When, I can't remember when Sam Neill coined that phrase, but that was the sort of the, the 70s, 80s, 90s, I think that he was... But Australian cinema doesn't have that. Australian mm. cinema has a real life about it and positivity. And I, I think there, there is some darkness in those films. Like Muriel's Wedding is a very dark movie in times. Yeah. But the, the Mad Max films. Yeah, true. But I mean, it's a different, there's a different yeah. energy about it. There's a more of a manic... Babe 2, Pick in the City. Okay. Uh. <laughs> um, Kossi, have you seen Kossi? No. Um, that's a film that I'm sure you couldn't make now, but it was uh, mm. a lot of the staples. So it has... Um, uh, Tony Collette and um, Jackie Weaver and oh. um, and and Otto Barry Otto, who's who's the father oh, yes, in *Strictly yeah. Ballroom*, and it's a young man who um, is a drama graduate, and he goes into an institution for people with mental intellectual disabilities and creates an opera with them. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of great Australian actors doing um, quote unquote hilarious yeah. characters who yeah. have intellectual disabilities. So I don't think the film will have aged well. Okay. But um, <laughs> that yeah. rings a bell. Is but it, it's, is it I remember loving as in Cosi Fantutti, probably. Yeah. Uh, right, okay. right, 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 right. <laughs> it's, it's a great. I remember being a great movie, but yeah. it's um, it's probably not aged well in terms of its it, politics. Is, um, is Quills Australian? Well, yeah. it stars Australian. Yeah, uh, I can't remember who directed Quills. Mm. Um, it's Jeffrey Rush. Yeah, it's a period seen it. piece. Mm-hmm. Um, with Kate, uh, Kate Winslet yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think about um, Lantana which mm-hmm. was um, oh, yeah. I think Anthony LaPaglia before, mm-hmm. you know that Anthony LaPaglia is an Aussie yeah. um, who basically has forged a career out of being American um, and Lantana was Gabriel Byrne in that as well maybe Jeffrey Rush can't remember but that's your <laughs> that's your more kind of your indie your gritty crime drama Australian yeah. kind of you know unsolved murder mystery I, lo- I used to love stuff like that but uh, I agree with you that the, but Australia's bigger than us, right? So maybe they have the, the the opportunity to have these big, beautiful, colourful, exuberant coming of age stories like mm. Priscilla. Because there's always people against odds, but also being exuberant and colourful and wonderful. Yeah. Um, I can't think of. New Zealand examples like that in quite the same way. I mean, Peter Jackson, right? He's the biggest example, and his films are like. Hilarious, colourful, and incredibly violent. You know, yeah. <laughs> all of his all of his pre Lord of the Rings stuff is is you know some of the most violent cinema in yeah. in, in history. But it's got it does have a quality of the the joie de vivre. I wouldn't yeah. say I wouldn't say it's unease. I wouldn't say it's yeah, unease. Yeah, yeah. It's like punching the face, kind of with blood and gore. <laughs> but yeah, um, and I mean, going back to what we were talking about with with era and period. Um, Again, I think we've all mentioned this several times throughout the course of the, this podcast, but movies of, of the early 90s just have... There's something special about them. Um, the, the way things are lit, the way, you know, everything feels... N- not just tangible, but almost um, almost 
that you are present in yes. a way, like hyper real in a way. Yes. Um, and, and I think the comparison couldn't be more uh, different between, again, Baz Luhrmann back in 92 and Baz Luhrmann in 2022. Mm. Yeah. Where so much of what makes uh, Strictly Boring tick mm. is the fact that everything is so in your face and physical. Mm. Um, and in my opinion, it's just something that's completely, completely lacking from, from Elvis. Yeah, I think some of the dancing is fine, um, but it just feels like, as you guys were mentioning, a Marvel movie. Mm. Everything is very, very carefully digitally put together, mm. um, and it, it doesn't feel like it has any presence. It's very perfect. Yeah, it is a, and the mu and musically, Elvis is a very perfect film. It mm -hmm. all totally works. Yeah, um, I, I would say perfect, but also uh, in some places really messy as well. Um, uh, how they do, you know, all the cross cuts and the the quick edits of of CGI um, roulettes and and morphine and but stuff like that. But not messy as in unthought of. That's what I mean more. Uh, is that it's uh, it feels that does not feel to me like a mistake. That feels uh, to me like a relentless banging on the head of you've got three <laughs> milliseconds to look at this frame because we're now switching. But yeah. but then I, I watch something like this and I think of stuff like you know guess by noise work. Mm. And when Gaspar Noé does it, it's, you know, even in his very, very not, uh, I mean, not very good movies, mm. it, it, it's always there with, with a real sense of purpose and sure. it feels like everything is paced well and the, the images that flash before <clears throat> your eyes have been edited within an inch of their lives. Yes, I, yes. I did not feel that way. Oh, you honest. didn't? It felt really haphazard and like, oh, here we go oh, again. Oh, that's interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, so mm -hmm. uh, maybe I'll, maybe my feelings towards Elvis were just going down that slippery <laughs> slope. No, I, 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 no, I hear you, William, because oh. I, I felt that with um, Great Gatsby mm. and that it was like, oh, because there's a certain element of messiness in Australia, which we've talked about. Mm -hmm. Great Gatsby, for me, felt that way and it felt really overly long and... One of the things I love about Moulin Rouge, which does employ a lot of CGI and model work and composite work, is that it does it very intentionally and you know that it's happening and it's part of the kind of dollhouse nature of, mm. of um, is it Montmartre? Yeah. Um, it, it, it makes it feel like it's this little playground. Mm -hmm. And then when they go into the Moulin Rouge, it's it's real. Like there yeah. are real mm. dark, there are people hanging off the walls. It's a huge set. Mm. Yeah. It feels great. Or the scene in um, Romeo and Juliet, the party sequence. Mm. You know, it's, 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 which is the same year as the Titanic, right? Which is yeah. the, the real people and real buildings and real spaces that you feel it and it's huge and it's exciting and I want to go there. Also, just side note, in Romeo and Juliet, there's a scene where Romeo and Juliet, um, Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio, they first meet and he's in the night outfit, she's yeah. in the angel outfit, mm. and they run into the lift and they kiss mm. and the camera goes around them. So that sequence, um, the camera couldn't fit in the lift. Mm -hmm. So what they did is they designed a version of the lift where all of the octagon oh. panels lifted up as the camera rotated <sighs> around. That's and then the, then the panels got lowered back down again as the camera kind of got that part of the, 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 the lift into view. And I'm like, this is so great. This is the kind of movie magic that... This, I don't know, I didn't even know that that was a, a, an effect that they were doing, but mm. it's so exciting. There are a lot of, um, I don't know what that shot's called, the, I always think of it as the Reservoir Dogs kind of going around the 
table shop. But yeah, there's a lot of that in Strictly Ballroom as well. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott, when he's spinning and uh, does yeah, that wonderful absolutely. cut to the, the yeah. yeah, oh, that, that's I love that. That's yeah. so it reminds me of West Side Story where they, they hide it in West Side Story with kind of a, a blurry dissolve in, but this is a hard cut straight yeah. into the competition. That, and yeah. what's, Very cool. what's so cool about it's that? Like we are in the, in the third act, boom. And it's, it's you're so right, it's the third act, isn't it? Because and I think what, what happens is that we're building up to everything, you know, they finally kiss him and Fran and he says I think I was wrong about the dance the of love being yeah. pretend and um, we have the loves in the air refrain mm-hmm. come in and then he goes and he hears the story from Barry Fife um, which by the way was going to be filmed for real they were going to film it realistically the backstory, but they oh. ran out of time and money and so they decided to do it as a, oh, as that, okay. a, a stylized piece which I yeah. think makes it better yeah. um, but you know he's he's going to the whole film's building up to him doing this moment and then he and then he sort of believes that he, he's letting his dad down and so in that cut, it's like, you, you, I, I, when I feel, when I feel when, even when I still now watch it with people, I think, I wonder if people know that this is actually happening. It's almost like it's a fantasy. Mm. Has he really just ditched Fran? Is he yeah. really with Liz? Like, is that really mm-hmm. what's going on? And, mm-hmm. and it just sets up the wonderful tension of the, the final act of the film. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So did you tell me, I know that Paul Mercurio was actually a dancer yeah, um, for real, but Tara Maurice, no? No, and she worked with the d- dance coach. Didn't um, she do a good job? It's fantastic. I mean, the funny thing about Strictly Ballroom is there's actually not that much dancing in it. When you, <laughs> no! You know, it's a dance <laughs> film with the little dancing. He's fantastic. Yes, but he a is. lot of the stuff at the start with Liz is, you can, if you watch it, I mean, I've watched it now so many times mm-hmm. that I can see when it's the, the oh, dance double. double and when it's right. Liz, the actor. Um, but the same with Tara, I think they had they had a dance double in. But she did a lot of it herself as it well. It reminded me of Dirty Dancing a lot, Dirty oh, Dancing. Yeah. But was that was that from the '88 or something? So yeah. obviously it predates it. Yeah. But the whole kind of I'm the man who knows how to dance, and I yeah. shall take you under my wing. Except that in this film, it's the grandmother tapping on the chest and saying, "Feel it here." Yeah. And I'm like, "You got that, old Patrick Swayze." <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's true. <laughs> it is true as well. So yeah. I guess it's drawing from that '80s, that '80s um, yeah. tradition, right? Footloose and, yeah. and yeah. flash dance and yep, the dance yep, movies yep. of the '80s. And... <laughs> I'm going to do it my own way, yeah. and this is the rebelliousness, which again. And here's maybe our ending. Mm. Comes back to Elvis, who danced the way that he wanted to dance, even though all that hip swinging and everything was going to scandalize and, you know, virtually make women pregnant just by looking (laughs) at it. I love the moment when the woman starts involuntary screaming. Oh, that's that's a wonderful scene. And it's shot in super slow motion. Yeah. Um, You just (laughs) see the the micro expressions in in her face. And then uh, um, Tom Hanks is narrating over that. It's like, oh, this is really good. This is really, really good. And what an interesting point. Like these audiences are feeling something they don't know should they should enjoy yeah, and like, yeah. what, a, what a great way of yeah. capturing you know mass entertainment because we still mm-hmm. see that today right the things yeah. that capture people are yeah. a little bit scandalous we're not sure if we should really be enjoying yeah. this uh-huh. but, <laughs> but yeah. it happens to you rather than yeah you've got no control over it lovely right final thoughts William, do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think I said all. I basically want to say I uh, really enjoyed Strictly Ballroom. It's also just a really beautiful movie. Mm. Um, there's some shots that I, I was surprised at how pretty it was where they're um, uh, dancing beside the train tracks and you see the backdrop uh, of a train passing by and it's just super blurry but it's movement and then it cuts to a shot of the, the front of the train and you see the overall geographic like uh, placement of everybody and it's like oh that's su- super nice the most expensive so shot in the film really yeah, <laughs> yeah. wow wow alright yeah. Um, yeah so it's a really really enjoyed it and also just the sense of you know 
kind of democratizing of, of something that was very, very uh, gatekept or gatekept. Um, was something very, very late 80s, early 90s. Enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, Elvis, yeah, it's, it's all right, I guess. I just ended up really, really not enjoying it by the end of the movie. Mm. Cool. I mean, Elvis, I had a really great time, as I said, until I feel the movie should have ended. Um, but, you know, I, Baz Luhrmann, what I love about him is his collaborative nature. He collaborates in, incredibly generously with his team and he's had that team for a long time he every film he collaborates with with musical artists and creates really interesting albums so i kind of feel like that's really hard to capture lightning in a bottle when you are bringing in so many other voices and so i'm okay to have a a messy elvis film that is really exciting in parts Mm. just like i'm okay to have a messy australia and a messy great gatsby because every now and again you might get the get down you know Mm. so i'm i'm all for that um i'm definitely over this whole genre so, uh, it musical biopic? Yeah, musical yeah. biopic. Mm. At least for the next wee while. Let's wait for some of our 90s. and Until they do a Lady Gaga one, Jeremy. <laughs> well, it's called Joker, Joker 2, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, so, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm waiting, ready for that to um, kind of take a rest and come back in about 15 years. Strictly Ballroom is one of my top 10 favourite films of all time. It's incredibly nostalgic for me. I talked about that in the last podcast, the, the situation with which... I was introduced to the film. It's the movie that always works for an outdoor movie night or a, mm. or a, a group movie night because mm. people can kind of talk through bits mm. of it and it's mm. still okay. Mm. Um, and everybody that I've introduced this movie to has fallen in love with it. And I'm always a little bit nervous that it will do mm. that, but mm. every time people really connect with Strictly Boring, there's mm. something so wonderfully joyful. And I can quote this movie. And actually, I played it for... Um, I played it for William and uh, Sarah, which I didn't record that fresh, by the way. Um, this is something that I recorded to my, for my friends, friend a couple of years ago. So this is me doing a clip from Strictly Ballroom, and then I'm going to pass it to Sarah. Here we go. Look, a beginner has no right to approach an open amateur. Yeah, well, an open amateur has no right to dance non-federation steps, but you did, didn't you? But that's different. How is it different? You're just like the rest of them. You think you're different, but you're not because you're just, you're just really scared. You're really scared to give someone new a go because you think, you know, they might just be better than you are. Well, you're just pathetic and you're gutless. You're a gutless wonder. Maybe I call me on, come with me, the So there you go. Over to you, Sarah. Um, well, had no expectations for Elvis. Totally loved it. Uh, didn't remember specifically what I thought of Strictly Ballroom other than I'd enjoyed it a million years ago when I was young and naive and I thought it was a smashingly good time. Um, Final little point of trivia, you fellas might already know this, I looked up Baz Luhrmann, I was like what kind of name is that? Now we'll all know (laughs) that the Australians often give one another nicknames. Baz. Baz. You'd think his name was Barry or something and they called him Baz but apparently, and you may or may not already know this, that when he was at school, he had a bit of an afro and uh, he was bullied. Um, well, that's not surprising, I think, um, knowing Baz the way we know him now. And uh, <laughs> the kids called him Baza, um, Basil Brush. And so he decided, in this wonderful way that some people have, to embrace that. Mm-hmm. And he changed his name by deed poll to be, yeah, he changed his name by deed poll. His name is, Mark, I think, Mark Anthony Luhrmann. And he changed it to be um, Mark Anthony Baz Luhrmann. Uh, and so, you know, when this, the titles come up at the beginning and it says a Baz Mark production, and mm-hmm. that's Baz Mark, um, and that's him. So there we go. So Baz was not his, his born name, but he took it from the bullying <laughs> and made it his own. 
Wow. Bloody, I love that. Bloody good on him. I didn't yeah. know that. I didn't know that. There and you I'm go. very I'm now wiser for it. There you are. A little bit. Yeah, I mean, did we want to sneak in any little accents at the end? <laughs> nah. Let's <laughs> wrap this just keep, just keep talking normally. Yeah. True. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film-loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, and Amazon Music. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, which are great places to let us know what you think of this episode, or give us suggestions for future films to discuss and compare. Look out for our next episode in a month's time, which will be on Thor Love and Thunder and Cabin in the Woods. And until then, no more am I.